Well, if you would, I, I, I know the sermon text is in your bulletin, but I'm going to ask you if you have one available, grab a Bible, open one on your, on your smartphone, or grab one in front of you, because today we're going to kind of look at some of the context around our passage, and, and so it's uh, Romans chapter 8. We're looking at four short verses, verses 14 through 17. It's on page 944 of your pew Bible, uh, your Bible app on your phone. I'm not sure what page it's on on that one, but anyway. Um, let me say this. This could perhaps be the most important sermon you ever hear. It may be a sermon that you need to go back to mull over and pray through and think through. And I'm saying that not because I know I'm going to preach some excellent sermon. <laughs> You're laughing. Come on. Why are you laughing? I say that because I, I don't necessarily think I'm going to speak an excellent sermon, but rather this passage itself speaks of an excellent doctrine that until we get deep into our heads and hearts, we cannot live the way in which God has called us to live. You see, on the one hand, as Christians, we kind of get it. We get that we're saved by grace, that, that God as a judge has decided to pardon us, not on our merits, but on Christ's merits. And so, so we, have a, uh, we, are, we are free from the, the guilt of sin. But what we also need to understand is that's just a, one part of the, one of the facets on this diamond we call salvation. Perhaps the greatest facet on the diamond of salvation is this, that God has adopted you, if you are in Christ, adopted you into his family. He is not the judge who just declares you guilt-free so you can go away. He declares you guilt-free so that he can bring you into his family so that he can treat you like a father. So <laughs> that's what we're going to look at this morning. Hopefully you see already why this is so important. Today we're going to look at this, how the Holy Spirit, which is all throughout Romans chapter 8, how he is not just the spirit of life that we saw last week, but also now the spirit of adoption. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we call you Father, and, and sometimes we take that so lightly. Uh, it comes off our lips uh, so easily, but yet it's true. You are our Father, and that means something to us here and now and in the age to come. May your spirit, the spirit of life, the spirit of adoption, speak to our spirits and confirm that we truly are children of God. Uh, we need your help in that area, we pray. Amen. You know, for all her life, my mother has had a knack for adopting, adopting stray cats, dogs too. Most recently, about six weeks ago, she adopted a stray cat. His name is, well, she named it Mo. And in my mother's habit of, of replicating the cat's name, well, she calls it Momo. Have you ever adopted a stray pet? No doubt if you had, you've, you've noticed that though you've freed the pet from its horrible past and circumstances, and you've brought it in a warm and loving home, the pet almost, often falls back into its old fears. 
fears of being abused, fears of going hungry. We had, uh, when I was younger, we had this old, mangy, scraggly, white cat named Tom. Well, Tom Tom. (laughs) Though we brought him into our house, and though I used to scratch the heck out of his neck until he purred like crazy, every time you fed him a huge bowl of food, he scarfed it down in like 30 seconds. (laughs) It was his his last meal. He was never going to get another. One day I caught him on the countertop as my mom had laid some food out and she had left the kitchen and and Tom was up there literally eating corn off the corn on the cob. I made sure my brother got that one. (laughs) Just kidding. All right. Um, Even though Tom, Tom was accepted into our house and shown warmth and love and affection, he often still lived like an orphaned stray. And so too Christians. Though we've truly received the fullness of God's grace and though we've received God's promise and pledge to always love us and to one day bring us into an eternal inheritance, we can often live like orphaned strays. Lacking confidence in God's love and commitment towards them, many Christians live on a roller coaster of emotions. They are anxious over felt needs. They tend to compare themselves with others and base their sense of worth on how they stack up against them. They're quick to point out others' flaws. Their identity is wrapped up in momentary, superficial things. And when trials and sufferings enter their lives, many Christians feel that God has in some way abandoned them. Yes, Christians can live as orphans, but this is not how God intends. When Jesus was about to depart his disciples, remember what he said? He said, I will not leave you as orphans because I live, you also will live. And then he told him a few moments later that he would send the Holy Spirit to dwell in them. Last week we saw that Paul said that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in all those who by faith in Christ trust in him. Today, Paul tells us, he tells us this important truth, that we are to live out our daily lives confidently here on earth, for God has adopted us into his family. Today we're going to soak in this wonderful theological truth called the doctrine of adoption. Now, before we dive in, a couple quick things. We need to lay a foundation before we get too off track. Three quick things. Adoption is a good thing, though many people view it as a negative, as if it's inferior in some sort of way. In Paul's day, adoption was cherished. In fact, it was viewed as a superior way to enter someone's household. How so? Well, in the Greco-Roman world, when when a father did not have a son to pass on his inheritance to, he would go find a son and adopt him and give him all the rights and privileges of a real and true son. He was no way inferior. In fact, in some ways, he was superior. You see, in the eyes of the Roman courts, the adoption solidified the boy as a legal heir of the family. Everything that was due a natural-born son was now assigned to the adopted son. He became a full heir of the father's estate. Also, the adopted son was set free from his past. His old family, if he had one, no longer had any rights over him. 
Add to this, if he had any debts, they would all be canceled. If he had a criminal record, that record would be canceled. In the eyes of the Roman law, the adopted son was literally and absolutely the son of the new father in every sense. Now, if adoption under the old Roman way of things was a good thing, how much more so are adoption by God? Second thing we need to understand is adoption isn't for everyone. We need to dispel a falsehood. See, not everyone who is born is a son of God or a child of God. I know this flies in the face of our culture. Our culture says that, well, everyone born is a child of God just because they've been born on this earth. I get it. I understand in some sense why people would feel that way. But this is not the case. It cannot be the case. See, there's only one natural Son of God, and that's the incarnate uh, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Every other person who becomes a child of God becomes a child through the process of adoption, of God adopting them into his family. In verse 14, Paul writes, only those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Let me ask you, is every human being really led by the Spirit of God? I don't think so. Paul also writes in Galatians 3.26, For you were all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. My friends, you become a child of God through conversion. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and gives you a new birth, causes you to look up towards heaven to see Christ and savor him. At that point, uh, God adopts you into his family as his child. The third point is this. Adoption makes men and women Sons. How is that? Is Paul a, is Paul a misogynist here? Does, did, he, did he somehow neglect the fact that there were women in this church in Rome? No, not at all. No, he's espousing the amazing biblical truth called sonship. What is sonship? You remember we've talked about this before. In ancient cultures, only the firstborn son had the rights to inherit the family estate. Secondborn sons and all daughters had no share in their father's estate. So when Paul says that we are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, he is speaking about the newfound status of all Christians, male or female. Verse 17, we're called what? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So understand this. Every Christian, male or female, has the status now of firstborn son. That's what that means, all right? Whether you're a son or a daughter, you really are a son in Christ Jesus. That's what sonship means. Now, that's our foundation. Now for the main point. Remember the main point again is Christians are to live our days on earth with confidence for God has adopted us as sons. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at three things that the Holy Spirit does in this passage. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit leads the Spirit frees, and the Spirit speaks. Leads, frees, and speaks. First, the Spirit of adoption leads us. I think most of us can resonate with this, right? Have you ever worked somewhere and, um, and you find out you got a new boss coming to lead you? What are some of the questions that go through your mind when that happens? Uh, who is this man or woman? What, what are his or her credentials? Let me see the resume. What if you could hold the resume of the Holy Spirit in your hands? 
to see who he is, what his credentials are. I did that for you. Here we go. Imagine the resume. Holy Spirit, residence, heaven and earth. Objective. You've got to have a good objective, right, when you're writing a resume. Check out the Holy Spirit's objective. To restore glory to the fallen creation, including mankind made in the image of the Father and of the Son and of me. Qualifications. Eternally existent, member of the Godhead. Holy and good, beyond comprehension. A know-it-all, literally. Works well with others. Past experience. Eternity past, collaborated with Father and Son to create the universe and create human beings made in our image. A long time ago, let's not be particular about the details, a long time ago, created all things visible and invisible by a spoken word. 2,000 years ago, responsible for virgin birth of fellow Godhead member, Jesus Christ, actively led him in his frail human body for 33 years, strengthened him in his hour of greatest testing, rose him from the dead after he died to redeem for us people to call our own. Approximately 33 AD, took up residence in the church. Presently, holding all creation together while simultaneously dwelling in one billion people, give or take a few. Christian, when you, when you survey the resume of the Holy Spirit, it's to have a, an effect upon us. This isn't your old Aunt Edna coming to live with you. The same spirit that breathed life into this universe has come to dwell in you. The same spirit that gave life to Jesus' dead body dwells in you. This must shock us. This must humble us and lift us up. And it must also make us aware of some important point, and that's this. If the Father and Son sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in us, then he must be up to some monumental, important task. I mean, you don't send a third-string quarterback in to win the game. Christian, why did God send the Holy Spirit into you? He has an important task. Verse 14 tells us that the Spirit of God was sent to lead the sons of God. Where is he leading you? You know, I've heard Christians say that God is leading them away from their spouse. That another man or a woman makes them happier and therefore, you know, God is leading them to divorce and to marry another. Or I've heard Christians say, you know, I know my boyfriend isn't a Christian, but why would God have him in my life if it wasn't for me to marry him? My friend, Scripture clearly, clearly teaches that you're not to divorce except for adultery or willful desertion, and that Christians are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I mean, Scripture is really clear on this. So if you find yourself wanting to date an unbeliever or wanting to, to divorce your spouse, 
so you can be happier with another, then you can know that God is not talking to you. That's not the Holy Spirit leading you in the right direction. It's your fallen sinful nature, and it's trying, you're trying to gratify that nature in you. What did Paul say last week? He said we're to put that to death. We're not to feed that. We're to kill it off so that we may come alive in the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to do something contrary to the Word of God. He can never do that, nor will He. And so, Christian, when that friend of you sits you down to have that long, hard discussion about these things or other things, when they confront you over such things, listen, and then come alive in the Spirit and be led by Him. You know, many people today, many Christians also think that being led by the Spirit means that um, we just, we've got the Spirit hanging around, you know, kind of in the wings, just waiting there to help us make some important key life decisions, right? To open doors and close doors for us so we can find God's will for us in our lives. I'm not saying it's not important to come before God and ask God, what would you have me do? It's not, I'm not saying it's not important to pray for wisdom in making important decisions, But the Holy Spirit's primary purpose is in your life isn't to fill out your calendar or to open up career advancement opportunities. If you were to ask the Holy Spirit what God's will was for your life, he'd probably have you turn to 1 Thessalonians 4.13. The Holy Spirit has a way of pointing you to the word of God. What would you hear there? 1 Thessalonians 4.3, rather. Here's what it says. For this is the will of God. You guys ready? It's two words. It's not stop it. <laughs> it's from last week. All right. It's two words. All right. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. Hagiasmos. That's the Greek word. It means, uh, it means sanctification or holiness. God's will for you is sanctification. God's will for you is holiness. The primary task of the Holy Spirit is to lead you into greater and greater holiness. That's his first name after all, right? The Holy Spirit. And it's in the context of verse 14 that we see this. If your Bible's open, verse 13 says what? Remember from last week? For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who are now alive in Christ have a calling upon them to put to death all the sinful practices and things in their life that, that um, do not line up with who Jesus is or who you're called to be as a Christian. But Paul writes what? That we do this by the Spirit. My friends, that, that is why God sent the Spirit of adoption into your lives. To help you put to death all the sin that is still in you and therefore make you more and more like your elder brother, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is kind of like a football coach. Perhaps one of the greatest football coaches of all time is uh, Tom Landry. He's a Hall of Fame coach for the Dallas Cowboys. I'm sorry, Tristan, they're not in the Super Bowl tonight. But anyway, better luck next year. Uh, Tom Landry once said this. Listen closely. A coach is someone who tells you what you do not want to hear, who has you see what you do not want to see so that you can be who you always known you could be. Sounds a lot like the Holy Spirit's work in your life, right? And so, Christian, ponder this. Listen to me. 
perhaps God has a work to do first in you before he will move you on into some new relationship or new career. If you wonder why God hasn't led you into a new chapter in your life yet, perhaps it's because he really wants to lead you into greater holiness first. The Holy Spirit isn't so concerned about you having a job that invigorates you. He wants you to become more like Jesus as soon as possible. The Holy Spirit isn't concerned if you marry a blonde or a redhead. (laughs) He wants you to keep your eyes on Jesus so that you love him more every day. And the Holy Spirit isn't concerned if you have a nice vacation home in the Caribbean. He wants you to set your mind on things above where Christ dwells. Christian, it's true, isn't it? Putting to death your old sinful motives and habits, it's hard work. It's impossible work. That's why the spirit of adoption dwells in you. And his primary task is to make you more like Jesus. My question to you is, will you welcome this role of the Holy Spirit in your lives? We also see that the spirit of adoption frees. How does your being adopted by God and being given firstborn status change you? It changes you because the spirit of adoption frees you to live in newness of life. Remember, the book of Romans is about what? It's about newness of life that is ours from the Father uh, by the work of the Son uh, through the application of the Holy Spirit into your lives. Paul mentions two spirits in verse 15. He says, the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. To the Christian, he writes, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. The Holy Spirit, who is given to us when we believe, makes us sons, not slaves. What is he getting at? Once again, the context is important. Earlier, Paul says that if you live by the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And we just read that, that he said that the Spirit of God leads the sons of God uh, into greater holiness. And for us, you know, that sounds really good on paper, right? <laughs> but when we actually put it into practice, what do we often find happens? Christian, you know that holiness is where God has taken you. You know that, that he's working in your life to, to put off the old and put on the new. And, and you try, and sometimes you see great success, and you're like, yes. But there's times, isn't it true, you fall flat on your face, and, you, and, and you're left thinking, you know, you're, you're, you're left falling back into fear, or tempted to at least. To think, you know what, I can't believe I just blew that one. I just totally blew it with God. Surely he's got to be up to here with me by now. You see, every Christian knows, or at least should know, uh, that they are saved by grace, right? And yet the problem is we forget that we also are to live by grace each and every day. If we aren't careful, we can live as if our relationship with God is based upon how well we do all these so-called Christian things each and every day. And when and if we live this way, in the long run, we will end up feeling like orphans, not as adopted children of God. In your bulletin, you'll find a handout. You don't necessarily need to turn to it now, but it's from World Harvest Mission. um, They 
they host conferences called Sonship Conferences, where they help people like you and me to understand more and more how to apply our adoption to our daily living. And this handout contrasts orphans with children of God. See, many Christians live as orphans. They feel alone. And when hardship strikes, they feel abandoned by God. Whereas someone who understands their sonship, this person has a growing assurance that God really is their loving Heavenly Father. Orphans feel anxious over felt needs, whether it be relationships or money or health. Whereas children of God trust their Father and they have a growing confidence in His loving care. They are set free from worry. I want you to take this worksheet home and, and go through all of the, the columns there and, and check off the boxes that pertain to you and, and spend time meditating upon that. But let me just mention one more difference between orphans and children of God. Orphans need to be right. They are afraid to admit failure. They're unable to tolerate criticism. All they can handle is praise. But the one who rests in his or her status as a dearly loved child of God is able to risk even failure since their righteousness is in Christ. They need no record to boast in, to protect, or to defend. Paul tells us that we've not received a spirit of fearful orphans. But what? We have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we fall short, when we feel inadequate, we have the spirit of adoption in us that through the power of the spirit, we cry out to God. And we do not cry out to a distant or aloof deity. We cry out like Jesus who cried out how? Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It's uh, in our English. It's very similar to like a little toddler saying Dada or Papa. It's highly relational. It's astonishingly childlike behavior. Here the Greek word for cry uh, emotes intense feelings. The atmosphere is not one of tranquility, but rather of crisis. You know, when my daughters cry like this, there is nothing I desire more than to draw them near to me and embrace them and remind them that I am their father and I love them and I'm here for them. Christian, you need to understand this. You are God's child right now. He delights in you. He isn't watching over you, waiting for you to fail so he can roll his eyes over you. No, he sent his Holy Spirit into you so that you will not only be led by the Spirit, but actually succeed in becoming more and more like his son or daughter that he's calling you to be. And when you succeed by the Spirit, Abba Father delights in you. But not only that, when you and I fall short, and we often do, Abba Father's love is there, and it's in no way diminished. You are not an orphan who has, to, who has to act good or else. You are not a stray dog living under fear of ticking off your new owners and being returned to the pound. 
You are one whose status as child of God can never be taken away because of your failings. You've been adopted with a costly adoption fee. God sent his only begotten son to live and to die so that you may become God's son or daughter. Tell me now, does this not give you confidence when it relates to the renovation of your soul by the Holy Spirit? See, orphans are afraid to look at their shortcomings. If they see them, they'll make excuses. They'll shift blame. They're so unlikely to change to be more like Jesus. Good luck becoming like Christ if you can't feel feel safe enough to look at all the crud in your life that needs to be looked at, right? But your status as a child of God allows you to take long, thoughtful looks at your sinfulness and then own it and then in remorse cry out, Abba, Father, forgive me. Wash me clean like you say you do. Hold me close. Christian, you have been given the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Because of this, we're not to fall back into a fearful life of an orphan, but rather we are to rest and delight in the grace in which we now stand. Lastly, the spirit of adoption adoption speaks. Verse 16 uses courtroom language, right? Paul refers to the spirit of adoption as a witness. Kind of like a witness on the witness stand. I hope you never have to be on trial for any crime or anything, but if for some reason you were on trial for a crime, what a delight it would be to know that there was a witness on your behalf who can say something that could perhaps free you, right? Paul says that the Holy Spirit witnesses to two, re- to two things. What are they? One, that we are children of God, and two, that we are heirs of God. First, the Holy Spirit bears witness that we truly are children of God. Picture this. Picture the Holy Spirit pointing to you and saying these words about you on your behalf. This soul, this sweet soul, right here, this one right over there, this is a dearly beloved child of God. One whom God has promised to cherish forever. One whom angels in the heaven are delighting over right now in God's presence. One whom Satan cannot touch. One for whom there is now, therefore, no condemnation. That's what the Spirit is doing as he points at you. But let me ask you this. To whom is he speaking? To the Father? No. To you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Christian, let me ask you this. Why would the spirit of adoption speak to our spirits to tell us that we are children of God? Why? Because we forget it. (laughs) Because we find ourselves at the end of our ropes and helpless because we struggle so long against a particular sin in our lives that our minds tell us all sorts of lies. Lies that this God really can't love you. Look how pathetic your Christian walk is. See, 
unlike unbelievers, most unbelievers aren't really concerned too much about their sin. Oh, it might get in their way. They might not like it on a particular day, but they're hardly thinking twice about it. But the Christian, though, has had a heart opened up to the reality of the sinfulness in their own lives. And so they see it. But the problem is we see the sin in our own lives, but we don't see also the love of God for sinners like us. We need to be reminded that we've been adopted into his family, that we are his children. And so the Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit to remind us, no, 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 no. I know you don't feel like it on this given day, but no, don't go back there. Don't go back to living like an orphan. That's not what God has done for you. He has lavished his adoptive love on you for the purpose of you knowing that you're his child and forever will be. Stop thinking that. Dwell on who you are in Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Tell me, what kind of God would do that for his children? A loving, a gracious, a kind, heavenly father who always wants his children to know how much he loves them. Oh, that we would understand what Paul is saying here. Would it not change us? Would it not just cause us to live in a totally different way? No longer orphans, content to make excuses, feel good because we're the ones who are suffering. But no, to turn to God and to experience who we are as his children. We're, we're heirs. That's the second thing that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We're not just children, but we're heirs of God. Verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Did you notice the Bible doesn't say, if good children, then heirs, right? It doesn't say that, does it? It just says, if children, then heirs. No, God has determined ahead of time to apportion to all his children an inheritance that cannot be withheld, even if we fall on our faces in failure. Why? Because we are fellow heirs with Christ. Did you see that? Once again, our union with Christ. This means two things. One, Christ, the perfect, obedient Son of God, has secured for us our status as sons and daughters. Therefore, the inheritance that we receive is not based on our performance, but on His. And two, it's not our inheritance that we share with Christ, but rather it's His inheritance that He shares with us. Remember, to Christ belongs all the glories of this earth the eternal age to come, the new heavens and new earth, authority over all these things. Christ owns it all. And there's no written law that he, needs, that he must share his estate with anybody. But where there is no law, there is love. Christ has determined in his, in his heart to, to share with the adopted children of God his inheritance. This is meant to change us. Why is it so important that we understand that the Spirit speaks to us, that we're God's children, and that, that we've, He's reserved for us an inheritance? Why is it? It's because of all the suffering we undergo in this life. It's interesting, when the Bible speaks of our inheritance, it often, right after that, tells us, man, there's some suffering coming, I'm sorry to say, right? Like, go read, First Peter chapter 1, right? We have this great inheritance kept, inheritance kept in heaven for you. Oh, and by the way, there's a lot of really tough stuff coming, <laughs> right? So too in our passage. Paul wants us to know that we are heirs. Why? Because as Christians, we, we experience suffering in this world. Let's, let's 
Here's verse 18, or first verse 16 and 17, and then verse 18. We're going to see it next week. But the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. What, now what does it say? Provided we suffer with him, in order that we may be glorified with him. And then here's next week's beginning passage. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings of this present time, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The Christian, if he or she is to have a fruitful life here on earth, must be able to reconcile simultaneously these two realities. He or she is a child of God, and he or she still suffers. So many Christians become paralyzed when when life doesn't go according to their plans. Their their confidence to live bold, beautiful lives led by the Spirit wanes. They doubt God's presence in their lives. Maybe he's just left me as an orphan to struggle on my own. Remember, this new life in Christ feels very much like dying. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his wonderful book, The Cost of Discipleship, says this, When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When we live lives as orphans, we will run from suffering and then feel like God has abandoned us. But when the child of God, who knows he or she is an heir, a fellow heir with Christ, to such a child, they can enter into suffering with confidence. Confidence that what? That Christ is with us in our sufferings. That's what Paul said. Christ is with us and that Christ will also turn our suffering into glory. In verse, at the end of verse 17, Paul doesn't say provided we suffer alone. He says what? Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Oh, that we'd understand that in the midst of our suffering, that's when Christ is nearest to us. God has not abandoned us. But God has something bigger on our horizon. And and through the pain, he is going to bring us into a glory. Christian, God, your loving Father in heaven, doesn't call you to suffer because he wants you to experience pain. He calls you to suffer not for the pain, but for the glory that is to come. I'd like to wrap up with a true story. I think it'll open our eyes to the importance of knowing that we're heirs of God and, and how we're to live in light of our inheritance to come. In 2009, two strays were living in a cave. Not stray cats. Stray brothers. <laughs> Geza and Zolt Palady were so poor and destitute that they were forced to live in a cave in Hungary. They said that they were abandoned at an early age by their father and their mother, and they they lived as orphans. And they said, all that we really had was each other. No women would look at us living in a cave. I can imagine that, right? But now a lot has changed. And lots of women would like to make their acquaintance. See, in 2009, their distant, long-lost German grandmother passed away. 
and the lawyers for the estate tracked the brothers down along with their sister, who was living in America, and they all found out that they were fellow heirs of an inheritance of $6.4 billion. With that money, you can buy the Batcave if you wanted to. You know, they said, they said that they heard their grandmother had some money. They kind of knew, they remember some stories from when they were little. They had no really comprehension or understanding that an inheritance would one day come their way, nor did they comprehend actually like how big it would be. Let us not be like those brothers, right? Something different has come our way. The Holy Spirit speaks to us, tells us, If you're in Christ, the Spirit speaks to you and says, you're God's son, you're God's daughter, you belong to him. There is an inheritance that belongs to you. You don't have it yet, but it will be yours. Take heart, just as Christ suffered, you will suffer too, but there will be glory. So stop thinking that you're an orphan, that you're neglected. (laughs) Come alive in the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this important passage. May we meditate on this, not just today, but for the rest of the days of our lives. We thank you that you've given us your spirit. What a resume he has. (laughs) Oh, how we need him. I pray for all of us here that you would, by your spirit, purge us of foolish orphan thoughts and behaviors. Um, allow the truth about who we really are, about our status as sons of God. May that status transform us today. And uh, may you have your way with us. May we follow the leading of the spirit within, we pray. Amen.